We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? This free agency period, don't be like Tom Telesco and waste money on Cox. Invest in yourself. There's some unrestricted spending on your free agent. Manscaped, it's the way to go. And unlike the Chargers secondary, we've got you covered with our code GUILTY, which you can use at checkout for 20% off your order. At Manscaped, you can take care of the big man downstairs, whether it be dressing it up or giving it a nice scent or just, you know, giving it a nice trim. Well, as long as you don't ask your strength and conditioning coach to do it for you. All right, guys, here's the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Alex is unavailable to join us today, so it's just me and Tyler. Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm not as busy as he is, apparently. I just got off of school, and he's just now trying to figure out how to start it and get ready in the morning. So I'm doing much better than him. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Today's a good day. We, we uh, Good. I don't know about everybody else, but we have finally gotten our students back on campus. I work in a middle school, for those who don't know. Um, and it's just been... It's been so nice to see, you know, students, it's not full capacity, but, you know, having to do virtual learning for the last year, you know, oh, it yeah. was, was, was not fun. So getting kids mm-hmm. back on campus this week has been, you know, it's a real treat and middle schoolers for once in their lives are not miserable human beings. So it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> are they happy to be back? Yeah. Most, I would say like 90% of students are happy to be back. We'll see how long this lasts. I was sure. talking to my wife about it, you know, just like, I've never seen so many happy people on a school campus <laughs> in the middle of February because usually yeah. like February after President's Day weekend, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I just can't wait to get to spring break. So uh, it's it's been so fun to see everybody is, is so happy to be back. And uh, it's been a good week for us. Good. That's great to hear. And, you know, it's been a good week for the podcast too, continuing our, our work on YouTube and stuff like that. So 
Uh, if you do enjoy the show, please make sure and, and give us a like, subscribe to our channel, leave a comment if you learn if you learn something. If you don't learn something, you know we always enjoy interacting with you guys on YouTube. Uh, and, and make sure and, and keep the feedback coming. If you're listening to us on a podcast platform, please leave us a, a rating or review. We got we do really appreciate that. That does really help us continue to grow uh, our brand and be able to pump out more content for you guys. So, Tyler, we've got a fun show today, man. We've got a big time interview with uh, that I did with Cole Kubelich, who works for ESPN and the SEC Network. Talked a lot about Landon Dickerson, Kyle Pitts, the big three receivers from the SEC. It was a great interview, and I hope you guys enjoy that. So that's going to come in a little bit. Um, shout out to him. It was He was so generous with his time. So I want to start with this, though. Today has really been like the start of free agency rumors. And, you know, we saw that come out with, you know, Corey Lindsley not being expected to sign back with the Packers. You know, people are start turning out their predictions of what, who's going to sign where. Um, but let's start with the Corey Lindsley thing. To me, and to you, and I think to Alex, I don't really, I don't want to speak for Alex, but the Chargers getting Corey Lindsley is like the biggest no-brainer of the offseason, right? Oh, I completely agree. Outside of John Johnson, who would just have that Staley connection, I think Lindsley is absolutely the biggest no-brainer. Easy slam dunk. There's need, there's fit, they have the cap. Yeah, I mean, everything is in place for this to be a move that the Chargers make. It really does, man. And, you know, all respect to Dan Feeney, I was really hoping that after the first three games that he was like, it really seemed like he was turning a corner mm-hmm. and then it just really took a dive off a cliff, man. And so, yeah. you know, pro football focus is not the end all be all in terms of evaluating players. We all know that that's established, but to go from a bottom five graded center to the number one best graded center would be a massive, massive upgrade. And, you know, this isn't like signing Brian Blog or, you know, I had some people today like, well, why would they sign another Green Bay Packer? It's like, well, <laughs> Brian Balaga, <laughs> Brian Balaga had injury history. Lindsley has largely avoided the injury bug. Knock on wood, if he's able to come here, he's been so reliable for that team, and really has turned it up a notch over the last three years. And he gave up fewer fewer pressures than Feeney did sacks this year. Like, boy, the upgrade from going from Feeney to Lindsley, it, it, it's massive, man. It's so big. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, that's an incredible stat, by the way. When you pulled that, I was like, I mean, that is the stat of the offseason. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to argue anymore. And, you know, more than anything, Lindsley being there will help out what we expect to maybe like two, maybe three rookies or new free agents yeah. along this offensive line and make things so much easier for everyone. Like, you know, Dan Feeney, I, he was my breakout player of the year and he looked like he was going to be that guy. It never worked out. And just that communication for everyone is so, so important. And Anytime I've watched you break down film or when we spoke about the, the Chargers offensive line for a couple of games during the season, you always talk about that communication. What are they expected to do? And it just didn't seem like the Chargers ever had that figured out, partially because of maybe Feeney, partially because of yeah. inexperience and new guys. But just having Lindsley there to bring these new free agent class or new draft class together and then also be really good at his job is such a no brainer. And then if you can keep him through Herbert's rookie contract, you have nothing but great play from Herbert. Um, for at least that rookie contract, as long as they have Lindsley. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because Chris Harrison actually responded to me and, and said, you know, Lindsley's a baller. I hope that they that the Chargers can yeah. get him because that really it's like the biggest way for a team with a young quarterback to help him take that next step is either get him more weapons, which we saw with with Josh Josh Allen this past year, or get him a better mm-hmm. offensive line. And so 
I know there are going to be some people who are going to going to worry about Justin Herbert potentially regressing a little bit, maybe having a little sophomore slump. I think his numbers could certainly come down a little bit. You know, that could happen sure. because of a more efficient running game, better defense, you know, uh, game scripts that don't <laughs> call for him to throw the ball 50 right. times a game because they're losing or coming back. So, um, but to avoid a full on slump, like the Chargers have to address the offensive line and start and, it starts with the left tackle position, but upgrading the center position, I think, is is second to that because the center makes all the calls. And Justin Herbert can make, you know, protection calls. Like, he is a smart enough player to do that. Mm-hmm. But having a veteran center that can come yep. up to the line of scrimmage and say, this is what we're doing. You know, it takes pressure off of Justin to be able to really just focus on, you know, reading the secondary, identifying blitzes, yep. uh, you know, reading the defense post-snap. And it just makes things easier for him. Yeah, you nailed it right there. From everything from you know Herbert potentially regressing this season, it's possible. Um, I I was just thinking today that it's very possible that Joe Burrow has a better statistical season than Justin Herbert because Joe Burrow might have to be throwing way more. Yeah, Herbert might be the more efficient quarterback. You know, I know Herbert has a new system. I'm not particularly worried. I mean, yeah, there will be some learning curves, learning pains, but Justin Herbert's a biology major. All we do is take (laughs) a semester put it in our heads, spit it out and do the next semester, like ecology. And then we're doing cell and then we're doing, you know, organic chemistry, you know, so I don't have any, you know, I don't, I'm not worried about him figuring it out and holding on to information and learning something new, but yeah, as he is able to grow, I don't know how much he was able to process during the season or in the off season. I, he didn't really do much. At, I mean, what protection scheme was he calling out at Oregon other than clap first throw? Like there, I don't none. think there was anything you really had to do. Yeah, there was. Um, so I don't know how much he was able to, you know, figure out. So for him to, you know, maybe as he learns, it wouldn't surprise me if he's picked up everything in, an, in another season, but for yeah. him to, like, okay, you know what, Lindsley, you do your job. You make my job so much easier and then I'll do the best I can to, to make sure we score and move this ball down the field and reward you for this. I just, it's a match made in heaven. It works out so well. I, I, I feel so strongly about this signing. Like, it, it has to happen. Blank check for me, 10 million, 12 million. I mean, you could go as far as 15 million and be like, eh, okay. Because yeah. honestly, that a little million here, a little million, a little million here, <laughs> a little million there is a little boost for everyone else along the offensive lines. So I'll pay him a little extra to give everyone else a little extra boost. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, Spot Track has his current value, like we talked about, you know, three for 30 ish, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, on signing bows and things like that. And so, um, we'll see that, um, the, the pro football guys, the pro football focus who, who predicted it, they said three for 35, which that's still like a no brainer. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other one that is really going to be interesting in terms of free agents is going to be Joe Thune because Joe Thune, yeah, you know, he's going to be an, an expensive, expensive get. And, you know, not every team is going to want to fork out 14, 15 million a year and, you know, $70 million over five years for a guard. There's mm-hmm. still kind of that stigma that you want to, you know, avoid paying guards top tier dollars. So, um, Spot Track did predict that the Chargers would get Joe Thune. Joe Thune, um, you know, that would obviously eliminate them from getting Corey Lindsley, which I think you and I kind of agree that we'd rather have Lindsley yeah. and someone else than just Joe Thune. Um, because mm-hmm. if you get Joe Thune, that likely means that Dan Feeney is back. Maybe they draft a rookie, you know, in the second or third yeah. round to, you know, mm-hmm. provide him some competition, but. You know, getting Joe Thune means that Dan Feeney is starting at center in 2021 for the Chargers. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, oh, listen, if they if they get Joe Thune, fine, that's great. I just the Chargers have 
Tom Telesco has traditionally gotten that one prize free agent kind of guy. Franklin, not really Dunlap, but Dunlap. Um, Barksdale for a little bit. Uh, who else? Okung and Pouncey. Yeah. And they've all kind of taken care of their one spot. But then there's been, you know, plug one hole, three others open. And I just think that they can't just plug that one hole. They're not that one guard or even two guards or two guards at a center away. They are four, four and a half linemen away from, you know, getting this thing to become a competent offensive line. So, you know, great if they sign him, but I just think you have too many other holes to, to put all your money into one guy. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And, you know, that's the thing, like teams don't like to pigeonhole themselves into making decisions based off needing in the draft. And so, you know, it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. Like, you know, you could take Elijah Vera Tucker at 13. We're going to get into to more of this in a second, but you know, sure. if you sign Joe Thune, that means like you don't have a choice. Like you have to spend two or three picks yep. in the first three or four rounds on offensive linemen, which I'm not going to complain mm-hmm. about like that. Like that would be a fantastic <laughs> outcome. Neither. But, you yep. know, teams don't want to be like, okay, like we have good corners. We have good secondaries. Like we really just need three or four offensive linemen in this draft. Like teams want to have flexibility. And obviously, you know, Tom Telesco has, you know, lived and died by the best player available mantra for his entire career with the Chargers. So Joe Thune just, it would be great. Like he's an amazing player. Sure. But yeah. They have too many other needs. You know, they're not one elite guard away from building an exactly. elite offensive line. So that's where I think both of us stand in, in that regard. No, I completely agree. And you know, the Colts offensive line isn't just great because of Quentin Nelson. There are other people along the offensive line yeah. that the Colts have drafted to make it a good offensive line. Sure. Nelson is fantastic, but it, you, you need five people. So yeah. <laughs> you say he's great, but you need five people. So um, Thune wouldn't be opposed. He got brought in great. Um, but like you said, I'd rather they you know, invest otherwise. Yeah, I really hope that Tom Telesco is is using the Colts as an example because the Colts, you know, they failed Andrew Luck's rookie contract because they, they couldn't protect him. Mm-hmm. And so it, it took them way too long to realize, like, hmm, like we need an offensive lineman. And then he was retired. And then they went to Jacoby Brissett and then Philip Rivers. And now they're with Carson Wentz. So, you know, Andrew Luck and his tenure in Indianapolis could still be going if they had invested this kind of draft capital in the yep. offensive line, you know, way back when. Maybe we're talking about a potential dynasty instead of Andrew Luck playing, what, seven, eight years? At most. Um, I'm surprised that Telesco hasn't adopted their new model sooner. It feels like the Colts yeah. were, even though it took them a long time, they're still, what, two, three years ahead of the Chargers right now because they've invested in, uh, I think, Kelly and Nelson. And they had, uh, oh, not not Costanzo. What's his name? Yeah, it's Costanzo, Anthony Costanzo. Costanzo, not Costanzo. Okay, anyway, they've continued to invest. I'm just surprised that Telesco who for the longest time when he first started with the Chargers took on a bunch of Colts players and was from the Colts. I'm just shocked that he never, that he hasn't so far adopted that model of maybe we should invest in the offensive line a little bit early or, or, or something. I'm, I'd be curious to see, I was going to look anything. (laughs) I'd be curious to see if the Chargers are the only team to take only one offensive lineman in the first round since Tendalesco has been here. I don't know how often teams take, you know, first round offensive lineman, but he's only had one in, you know, nine picks. So I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm going to look that up after this. Well, there you go. There's, there's, there's a little homework task here. I know the Seahawks haven't right. taken any because they never make a first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, they have uh, the running back. Oh, oh, that's right. They took Rashad Petty at like 20. <laughs> oh man. So bad. All right. So we're going to transition now to this interview with Cole Kubelik from ESPN and the SEC network. It was a great interview. We had a fantastic time talking with him 
Hope you guys enjoy, and we'll get to that right now. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. I'm so happy to be joined by Cole Kubelich now, who is a senior analyst for ESPN and the SEC Network. He's also the co-host of the Three Man Front. Cole, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm great. Do you think senior just means old? Is that kind of what you think that's code for, or...? No, uh, I mean, that's just, I, I saw that on your ESPN bio. You know, yeah, it, no, I'm wondering if they're like, yeah, he's one of our older guys. Let's let's, <laughs> let's call him a senior analyst. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know who uh, Benjamin Solak is, but, uh, you know, he's, I think he's younger than I am. I think he's like 23 and his title for the draft network is senior analyst. So there you go. Okay. There we go. So, um, <laughs> super happy to have you on, man. And yeah, you know, I, I think the rightful place because you played center, I played center in high school, obviously at a very different level than you did, but uh, Landon Dickerson is one of my favorite players in this class. What is your evaluation of him? And do you think NFL teams should be worried about his, his injury history? Not the injury. No. Um, I know he was a little bit banged up at Florida State, but I think that was early in his career. Um, this individual in, injury that happened at Alabama—I mean, if you saw the way that it happened—he's kind of getting—he's kind of getting thrown down, going down with the guy, and kind of gets rolled up on. Um, some people said that they thought it was even a little bit cheap towards the end of the play. I don't think that that's something that you look at him and say. I mean, it was—it was definitely an, an awkward torque, not something that. Uh, I think there was a reason as to why it happened. I guess I'm saying is not that, uh, you know, he's fragile or anything like that. Um, and he's been the last two years, he's been pretty healthy, pretty consistent. And I I'm a big fan of his, I'm a big fan of his personality. Number one. Um, I, I know how difficult it is to go to Alabama and be one of the leaders and, and be an alpha on that football team to do it as a transfer at, at a position that is probably going to require you to do even more work and then do it through a coaching change at that position, that's very difficult. And I think it says a lot about him um, just kind of as a human being, his personality. I think he was humbled a lot by going to Alabama and having to do what he did. Um, I've talked to, to Coach Flood about it, and he said that he just – he would scratch, he would fight, he would claw, he would compete, he would do anything just to be a part of that team and make that team better – and I think that I think he was a different person at Florida State. And and I love a guy who can grow like that. I love a guy who can sort of have the self-awareness and self-evaluation. I've had multiple conversations with him, be it the Joe Moore Award, be it certain plays, series, things that have happened, games, guys he's played against. And he never takes credit. He's never a guy that said, well, I went out and did this and I went that. It's, it's always the offensive line, the group, the team the position meetings, the guys next to him, uh, the guys yeah. that pushed him, the strength staff. I mean, it's, that's just kind of the guy that he's become. And when he went down this year, um, I talked to some folks on that team and some coaches on that team, and they they very bluntly said, he is not the leader of the offensive line. He is not the leader of the offense. He is the leader of this football team. And for a guy playing on the offensive line that transferred in from another school, um, that's tough because that's a place that has alphas and super talented guys and yeah. guys with expectations just waiting. You know, they're sitting there saying that's going to be my spot next year, or I came to take that spot, or that that's the spot that I'm here to go get. And so that's, that's a tough thing to do. Um, physically, you know, he's one of the more powerful centers that I've seen in a long time. Now, I will say this when I think when scouts get close to him, they're going to be surprised at, at just how massive he is. Right. Um, I was down on the field for the Kentucky game this year. We had that game and I always walked down in the end zone where the O-line's working. And I 
I just I hadn't been next to him in a while, and I, I I couldn't believe how big he was. He's bigger than he is more massive than Alex Leatherwood, who oh, is wow. going to start in the NFL at tackle. And you kind of saw him next to each other. And I mean, Landon's shoulder measurements would be wider. I mean, Alex is going to have longer arms, and you know maybe 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 be a guy that that obviously has bigger hands, something like that. But I mean, Landon had broader shoulders, like his 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 hips were bigger. And I'm just sitting there thinking, good God, this is a sinner, you know, and, yeah. and he's this massive of a human being. The way he plays the game is he may be the most fun to watch. I would say he and Trey Smith, when Trey's really going, are the two most fun offensive linemen since Quentin Nelson left college football to watch. Um, they just have that kind of play in them. They just they have that mean, that nasty. They want to go out and dominate people. And I just I love that because I don't think you can instill it. I don't think you can coach it. I think you can help bring it out of people to maybe a higher extent or on a more regular basis, but you don't get a guy and just go teach him to be that. I don't care how good of an offensive line coach you are. That's that that's that's gotta be in here and up here. It's just there. Or you yeah. know, it's, and some guys. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that some guys have may not been in a position to apply it. Um, I think a good example of that would maybe be like a Laramie Tunsil, who at Ole Miss, he's asked, you know, slide protection, slide protection, slide protection, sift up, sift up, cut off backside, cut off backside, screen, screen. Well, he's not really allowed, and not to mention tempo, where yeah. you, the emphasis is not on you finishing blocks. The emphasis is go line up at the ball and run the next play as fast as we can. So I think he was a guy that would probably get to the next level and then be allowed to introduce some of that to his game, which he has, but we just weren't able to see a ton of it in college. Um, Landon's got pretty good technique. I think he's got better feet and body balance than people would give him credit for just by seeing him. Um, he's he's not a great-looking prospect like a Mike Pouncey at center. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he has a terrible body. I would never be one to talk. <laughs> But I just think people are going to look at him and say, oh, he's not super athletic. or Oh, he doesn't move very well. But then you see him 15 yards downfield, and you, know, you see him out right. helping a tackle and pass pro, and you see him on a screen, and you're like, man, guy can move. He can get up the field. So I, I don't really – there's there's no real limitation in his game. Um, and I think if you have a – if you have a – I think if, if there, there would be two big points of emphasis where I think he would be truly valuable. I think if you had a quarterback that you knew was going to spend a lot of time in the pocket and it was important to him to step up in the pocket and maybe attack the middle of the field or get rid of the ball quickly, and you wanted to make sure some of those quick passing lanes over the middle of the field were going to be there, he brings a lot of value there because he's going to eat up a ton of space inside and he's not going to get pushed back. And then I think number two, if you had the emphasis on on an interior run game and a power run game, he's going to give you more push and more power at that position than any other prospect this year, next year, or the next year, because I've seen them all. There, then there's not another yeah. center out there that, that's going to offer this much power and get the kind of movement consistently that he can. So, I think he's a great prospect. It's it, it's kind of unfortunate that you know he's not going to be able to go to his pro day and do a whole lot if there were things that people doubt about him. Um, I think another thing that might work against him a little bit, mainly because of the injury, is this is a really underrated center class in my opinion. Um, now. That being said, I don't I don't think that there's a I don't think there's a pouncy in this class. Um, you know, I don't think you're talking about a, a five, eight time pro bowler in this class, but I think you have a lot of potential, maybe long term NFL starters that are more than serviceable and that can be good. 
Um, and I think Dickerson brings some extra value that if you needed to push him to guard, he would have no problem doing that. I mean, they were cross-training him at tackle in the spring. So I think some of his versatility could potentially help. But I like Josh Myers at Ohio State. I think he's going to be a good center. Um, you know, I think the Doug Kramer kid at Illinois is it can be an NFL player. I, I like Drake Jackson a yeah. lot out of, out of Kentucky. And he's a he's a tad undersized, but he's so good technically with his feet, with his hands, with his leverage, with his hat placement. He's just one of those guys that is he's gonna win with technique almost every time. And I really do believe in it may be a different style system that he's the guy that could come in and, and end up being an NFL starter one day. And he's he's just as good of a human being that Landon Dickerson is. So I'm a big fan of Landon. I like him. But I think this is a center class where you're probably going to see multiple starters drafted from the third round on. Okay. Like third, fourth, fifth round guys that end up being starters. Just because there's there's enough of them that are kind of right off of tier one where I think you're going to be able to wait and, and get a your guy or a different guy. And then I don't think there's there's that many elite talents where people are going to stretch late into the first or the top of the second. And so I think that'll sort of push a lot of the guys back that are going to be good enough to actually play in the NFL, start in the NFL one day. Yeah, you know, the the depth in this class in general in the offensive line is is so, so good, which is obviously good news for the Chargers. And that's something that we've been talking about because the Chargers need offensive line. Um, I want to shift gears to the big three of the wide receivers because, you know, there is a little bit, you know, Jamar Chase opted out. Nobody has has seen him play. Jalen Waddle got hurt early last year. Um, that Missouri game was unreal from Jalen Waddle. And then obviously you had Devontae Smith explode onto the scene when the Heisman. Uh, what would you say about those three and how would you compare them in, in terms of where they would translate to the NFL? Yeah, I think – I think we're going to see this with a couple of guys that, and and I think, you know, this, we've been sort of discussing this in a little bit of a different way the last few years. Like nobody cares if you sit out a bowl game, there's no NFL scout <laughs> that cares about that, which is probably accurate. Yeah. But I think with guys like Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater uh, and Micah Parsons, we all said they're not going to care if they sit out. They might not care, but I do believe it's going to work against a few of them. And when if San Diego is sitting there taking a wide receiver and Devonta Smith and Jamar Chase are on the board and you're strictly going to your numbers and to your grades and your rating and there's a minuscule difference. You're taking Devonta Smith. Right. The dude just went out there and had the most productive receiving season in the history of college football. Um, You know, I, I think. There are a couple other guys that, that could see the same fate. Now, for, for Micah and Panay, I don't know if there are other prospects similar to them to where you could sort of say, oh, this guy will go instead of him. But I think yeah. there's going to be there's going to be a few other guys that we look at and say, I really thought he was going to go earlier. And I didn't think those other two or three guys at that position would jump in front of him. But they played, and, and, and so they did. I think Najee Harris is a perfect example of that. Uh, I mean, Devonta probably just made 20-plus million by playing football this year because <laughs> yeah. he was going to go. I mean, wh- where would he have gone last year? Early second, mid second. And now he's going to go top seven, top, top five. I mean, that's a, that's 20 million in guaranteed money. You know, Nazi made 10, 12 million guaranteed. If he's, if he goes late first, I mean, that was a pretty crowded running back class last year. Was he, was. was he, and he wasn't in a position to, to come off before a couple of those guys. And even going into this year, you'd have probably said, 
Eh, Travis Etienne will go ahead of him. I kind of like Kylan Hill's versatility more than him. So now it's I hadn't seen anybody else saying there's going to be another back off the board before him. So it's wild how some of these guys are really going to make themselves a ton of money by actually playing last year. And I think Devont is going to be that guy. I think he's first off the board just because he proved he went out. He is he is one of the best receivers at all three levels that I've seen in a long time. Right. Meaning he can flat run past you and take the top off. He is not afraid to work the middle of the field and be able to do that. I think you've got to get in and out of your breaks quickly. You have to understand route running and, and not just what your route is, but where defenders are in reference to your route. And he's got excellent ball skills. You just, you didn't, you did. We see so many super talented receivers that, um, you know, the, the kid coming out of uh, the kid coming out of Clemson. Like I remember going back and studying Clemson going into the playoffs, and I was thinking, why is nobody talking about this guy? Like, he's making amazing catches all the time. But then next thing you know, you're looking up and there's a drop or there's a ball right there in the end zone, Cornell Powell. And you're like, man, he just dropped the ball right in his belly. And so two highlight catches a game, two big negative drops a game. Devonta doesn't give you that. I mean, he is just as polished and as solid as they come. And I don't think from a skill set perspective, Jamar is very far off from him. Um, But I think there will be a little bit of negativity floating around about how he handled his situation before he shut it down. And then just the fact that he shut it down, I, I think is will be frowned upon very lightly. Um, but he's super skilled too. I think he's a little bit thicker. And I think people are going to like that. Um, if you wanted to work your guy in the middle of the field a little bit more, maybe he he gives you a little more value. I think if you need a guy to just go up top a little bit more, Devonta probably your guy. If you're looking for super versatility, then I think Jalen's your guy. If you're running quick strike stuff, if you're going to, you know, if you're Kansas City and you're running that kind of offense, Jalen Waddle's your guy because a lot of screens, quick throws, throws out of behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's what Miko Har- people are like, why would you draft Miko Harmon? Well, nobody runs like he runs. You it's know, fast. people, yeah, people ask, well, o- Oakland, all these receivers on the board, why would you draft Ruggs? Well, Ruggs does something that none of the others are going to ever be able to do, and it's run the way that he runs. Right. Jalen, it, it's, it's really unfortunate there's not going to be a combine in Indianapolis because I think Jalen would have blown some people away with what he would have done with his 40, and that would have probably changed where he came off. Um, I'm really interested to see, like, how they even like, – what are, what are people really going to think about these 40s at these, like, virtual pro days? Are, yeah. are NFL scouts just going to take that for the gospel? Like, like what, what if – just say Anthony Schwartz goes out and runs a 419. Is he and gonna, it's possible. Like, that dude is crazy fast. Right, but is he going to get – what would ha- like is he going to get like Chris Johnson type hype with what he do four two two something like that at the combine like is he going to get that kind of hype by doing that at the indoor facility in Auburn? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I just think it's really interesting because we got a couple guys Schwartz, Waddle, maybe Smith who are going to absolutely burn. I mean, they are going to burn. And are we going to look at that and say, nah, you know, strength coach helping them out or hand time? We can't really count that. I, I just. It's going to be fun to watch how people take it and if that does actually skyrocket a few players like we've seen happen in the past. We've seen that before. Um, Waddle can take any ball anywhere on the field and turn it into a touchdown. And that's not just catching it. That's that's running it. That's receiving it via punt, via kickoff. So if you want to use your guy on special teams, you need some of that. I mean, Devonta returned punts too. So if you you needed that, he's got that. I think Waddle is just 
Mr. Utility Knife, super guy, uh, you just use him anywhere. If right. that's if that if that if that brings more value to what you want to do, then I think Jalen Waddle is your guy. If you just need a number one, Devonta Smith, I think is your guy. And then I think if you're debating those two, but you know you're going to work this receiver in the middle of the field a little bit more, maybe maybe Jamar Chase is your guy. I don't think you could go wrong with any of the three. Right. And I, I think that it's um, – I think that you can be a little bit picky based on exactly what you think you want to do with them. But if it were me, it would probably be Smith, Chase, Waddle. I have a little bit more concerns about the Waddle injury than I do, say, Dickerson's injury just because okay. – you know, we did see him. I mean, he played in the title game, and and the Wasn't guys great. that I talked to said he was fine afterwards. But yeah, he just he looked. It didn't look great. So yeah, you just you kind of it makes you wonder a little bit. It does, and you know, I I have to say, like the whole game plan really shifted from what I could see once Waddle went down, and that really benefited Devonte Smith because it let him yep. do more things, and it let him you know show off that speed too. Um, you know, the other big one that I think a lot of people and. It, Maybe it's a possibility for the Chargers at pick number 13. I personally don't. What do you do with Kyle Pitts? Because, like, it's not a bad thing, but are you going to bulk him up and play him as a tight end? Are you going to leave him in a similar role where he's kind of a hybrid? Or do you say, hey, I want you to slim down a little bit and we're going to make you a full-time receiver? Um, probably not the full-time receiver because I, I, I think that you would have to – I think you need a little more twitch to be that guy. Um, okay. I think, I mean, when you first asked the question, my response was everything. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. he is a, I think he's a little bit more of a willing blocker than people give him credit for. Now, I agree. Does that mean he's Gronk at the point of attack? No, but at least the guy's willing to go in there and put his face mask in somebody's chest and right. try to work them back off the ball where you've seen a lot of these guys, these flex hybrid still think they're playing basketball. They want nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. They're not coming up there to help him pass pro like they're, they're intentionally whiffing in the run game. They're hoping that they're backside in the run game. You, you can tell when you watch it. I think Kyle's at least willing, which means, okay, you're not a liability if we line you up there. Like, you might get your ass kicked, but at least you're not just olaying guys to get out of the way so you can avoid contact at all costs. Um, man, I'd flex him out. I mean, I would just I – would, I would use him in a similar way that Mullen did in that we will find a matchup that we like and we will make you adjust to it. And if you don't, we'll abuse it. And he can abuse a lot of guys because yeah, he, he runs extremely well. He has a massive catch radius. He has great hands and super fluid, super athletic. So I don't know if I would change up much about him. I would almost try to just go back and see how Dan used him and just try to implement that into your – I think the NFL is going more that way. It's, it's going more the way of, okay, how were you successful – and how can we help keep you that successful and alter what we do a little bit instead of for right. however many years it was? No, man, this is what we do. If your game doesn't translate, you, you just probably won't make it through your first contract. <laughs> yeah. So I think guys know now, let's do everything we can to be versatile and flexible to allow some of these super talents to go out and be productive. And I think Kyle Pitts is a super talent. I, he's so much fun to watch. I love watching Kyle yeah. Pitts. Um, you know, some two players from Kentucky are really like generating some buzz recently. You know, it, Daniel Jeremiah put both of them in his top 50 recently, I think yesterday. Um, and that's Kelvin Joseph, Kelvin Joseph, excuse me, the cornerback. And then Jamin Davis, the linebacker from, from Kentucky, both of those guys. Um, 
what can you tell us? Because I don't think most people know much about them. What do you? What is your impression of those two players? Both, both big, high-level competitors. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of cool to see what Kelvin Joseph did because you know, Boss Man Fat is his, <laughs> his rap name. Love that. Um, so funny. <laughs> he, um, I mean, you you put the film on of the Auburn game to open the season, and Seth Williams made him look bad. Seth Williams made him look really bad, and then. You didn't see too much of that the rest of the season. Now, you saw a couple bonehead penalties in the next game or two, maybe just still frustrated. And, and, and Coach Dupes told us that he had to sit him down a few times and talk to him about how he was hurting the team and about how he knew he was frustrated, but the way he was acting was selfish. And he said he took the coaching, he accepted it, and he went out and he just got better. He is a guy that he's got that Dion mindset, just that 10-second memory that, all right, Gave up a 90-yard touchdown. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get in your face. If I need to jam you, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. And it's just not going to bother him. It just, it just isn't. Um, super competitive. And a guy that I think if you need to play a lot of man, he he can be successful doing that. Uh, and he won't mind doing it. With, I think there, there are a couple of guys on this team that – and a lot of them are coming back, and I think you're going to get some of the same stuff next year with guys that just – Brad White does an amazing job of just getting his guys to play team defense. And I, I think that there are going to be certain guys that maybe could have been a better fit other places. And I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of this. So two years ago, I saw Jamin Flash multiple times. And he wasn't a regular starter, didn't play all the time. And we had Kentucky like it was, we had like six times that year. And so it got like after the third time, we'd sit down with Brad and I would say, All right, why, why are we not getting Jamin going? And he would just laugh. He's like, Why do you say that? And I was like, Well, I saw that third down dip and rip in the in the fourth quarter. And like the dude just is super explosive, big time get off. And he would just laugh and say, you know, sometimes I need him off the ball. Sometimes I need him in coverage. So he, he doesn't have a full array of pass rush moves yet, so we don't know if we want him to live there. So he did everything that they asked him to do and was very coachable and was still competitive and was a leader and was a guy that they really liked on that team. So I think he brings a ton of versatility. I mean, I think he, he's a guy that could – he's a little light, but he could almost make a living off the edge. Like, I think he's that twitchy. I really do. Um, and he's pretty long. But I think he's someone who could be super versatile and he's powerful enough to play blocks. He's not afraid of taking on contact and, and he can just flat out run. I mean, he is twitchy and he can run. So I don't know if maybe there was the best fit for him on an every down basis and what they were doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that there, there could be some schemes at the next level that have that home for him that are going to allow him to do one or two things that he's exceptional at all the time. And he got a chance to, to be a starter for a while, I think. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see where both of those guys land. You know, um, Dan Jeremiah put him at 21 in his mock draft the other day, uh, which uh, Kelvin Joseph, that is. Um, so I, I have two more questions for you real quick. Um, you know, you're an Auburn guy. You mentioned Anthony Schwartz already. Um, I know there's also KJ Britt, the linebacker. What can you tell us some, about some of those prospects from your alma mater? Um, Anthony Schwartz, I think, still has a higher ceiling than a lot of people believe. He, um, 
I spoke to Ryan Russell, the former Auburn strength coach, about him a lot going into the season and during the season. We had Auburn a couple of times this year, and he raved about how much Anthony did himself to help make himself a better football player on his own. Um, and we were, we were kind of talking about some of these guys at the beginning. You've seen these track guys that, I mean, they've, they've got two directions on their compass. They're really good at it. But when they're asked to do a lot of other stuff, it, it doesn't normally go well. I still think he has a long way to go with some of the lateral stuff, with some of the intermediate routes. Uh, but he got a lot better at it. He changed his body this past season. And, and Ryan told me, he said, we, we got him up about eight pounds and he was willing to put on more. But we knew that track was something that he still had in the back of his mind as a goal, potentially the Olympics. And he's like, if a dude thinks he can get to the Olympics, we're not trying to get in the way of that. We want to <laughs> yeah. keep that door open because that's pretty special. Right. And so um, I do think that'll be a question for some teams is, you know, are you going to be 100% dedicated to football? And do you want to just be a football player? Because we're paying you a lot of money to do that. Um, but he went out and worked on his lateral movement, his lateral quickness. He worked his hands. He worked the intermediate stuff. And he became a better ball carrier. He became a better route runner. He became a better football player and didn't shy away from contact as much. He, it was unfortunate that he was not – I mean, I, I thought the guy should have been touching the ball 10, 12 times a game. No matter how, I mean, he'll line him up at Wildcat and just let him try something. He, he's that explosive. So he is going to offer a different dynamic being able to take the top off because even in the NFL, I, I don't know if there are anyone or definitely not multiple people who can just run with him step for step, especially after they get going. So he'll be on Sunday night football one day with that miles per hour tracker running <laughs> past somebody. And we're going to be like, Whoa, yeah. um, you know, I, I think, KJ Britt is he is as throwback of an inside linebacker as you're going to get in maybe the last few drafts or the next few drafts. I mean, he is just he is that Takeo Spikes, Dan Morgan, like the guys that I played with and against downhill old school inside linebacker. Like he wants a guard or center to combo up to him. Like he he wants to take on that contact. Like he does not shy away from it. He thrives on it. Um, I think he's a guy that's exceptional as far as taking coaching. He has, he was the leader again, kind of like Landon Dickerson when he went down, you know, I had some guys, I know a lot of guys on that staff and they said, man, we just lost the team leader. Like he's not just a guy on defense. The team reacts to what he says. So that's the kind of individual that you're getting. I think he can be super productive for a long time. Um, I think he's probably better in a four down. But I think you can find a way to play him no matter what, just because, I mean, he, he's got good instincts, he's gifted, and the physicality is what's going to set him apart. Um, lastly, Seth Williams, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I mean, he is, he is a big-time talent and big-time catch radius, big physical body, gifted, capable of doing so many special things, but the consistency is just – it's poor. Uh, we had the Mississippi State game, which was the last game of the season. Right. And the last time he caught a touchdown pass was the first game of the season that we just referenced earlier against Kentucky. You Ooh. you cannot be that good Ooh. and go with on that kind of a stretch without getting the ball in the end zone. And I know the offense, there are some issues with the offensive line. There were some issues with quarterback. There were some, But that quarterback also knew where he was and made sure to at least try him a few times a game. So, yeah. Um, 
I think that would depend on that would depend on the franchise. That would depend on the locker room. That would depend on that that one that one is going to have to be right from the top down. If you're going to think about taking him in the second round, early third round, and it, and it working for a long time. Yeah, that that it's been a tough one. You know, J.C. Horn gave him a lot of problems in in their game against South Carolina. So. Uh, Cole gave a lot of people a lot of problems. <laughs> He's really good. Yeah, he is really good. I love JC Orton. So, Cole, this has been great. My last question here: uh, Is there somebody that you think uh, from the SEC, you know, that's going to go on day three and really outproduce that selection? Maybe a couple underrated guys. You referenced, you know, a guy like Drake Jackson. Uh, um, any other underrated guys that you think from the SEC could come out this year? I like Drake. Um, I'll tell you a guy that I think if he gets the right opportunity and stays healthy, that could be really good in the NFL is Rakeem Boyd, the tailback out of Arkansas. Okay. Um, he ended up opting out and could have come back. I talked to Coach Browse about it, and Kendall really was hoping he would come back. Understood it and wasn't mad about it. And and but I think with one more year, he could have really helped himself. He he is he's big time explosive. And, and he's a guy that when he gets into the open field, you're not going to catch him. Um, really, he would be really good in sort of an outside zone stretch play system where he could utilize some patience and then sort of just get north and south. Durability has been a bit of concern. Um, I talked to Sam about him. Sam loved him, but you know, durability was something that that they were a little bit worried about and that they kind of looked at and said, "All right, um, if you can't stay on the field, like you know, we're." You're not going to be able to play a whole lot. Um, I'm just trying to think, is there another – I'm just looking at some guys, like some of the lists, some dudes who might be a little bit further down that I really like. Um, who are some lower-tier guys that are coming out? Uh, I, uh, I personally really like Josh Palmer, the receiver from Tennessee. He's got some juice, man. He really does. And, you know, he was – he was pretty much all they had. Yeah. They had, a, they had a couple freshman receivers that they liked, but they they didn't have they didn't have a lot of other guys who could just take the top off or could really hurt you down the field. Like they they didn't have those guys. Um so I think he I think he's got a chance to to make a team and be somebody who could really help you, especially sort of inside. I, I think he's someone who could help out. Um, I'll tell you one guy who I kind of like that I've, I see rated low for a lot of people is Malik Herring out of Georgia. Um, I, I mean, and, and one of the reasons that I throw his name out is this is a very thin edge class. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, I mean, I, I think if you were just taking, if you were just taking football player, I think the two best, edge defenders in this class would probably be Basham and maybe Quincy Roche. As far as just total skill set, technique, fundamentals, ability, can read, wherewithal, understanding of system scheme. Now, do those two have Jalen Phillips, Gregory Russo ability? No. But like I see, I see Quiddy Pay at 15, 18 for a lot of people. Like, I don't feel like he has a ton of twitch. Like, I mean, I think he could be great in a three down, but I don't, I don't think he's, I mean, I don't think he's, he's going to live off the edge in a four down and just be an every down pass rusher. Like he's not, he's not that guy for me. You know, Dalen Hayes is kind of a bigger, uh, you know, thicker, muscular, heavy handed guy. Like who are your twitchy edge guys? There's just, there doesn't seem to be a ton of those guys in this draft. So it's, um, 
I think that could be sort of a name to watch. Um, yeah, those are the ones that kind of come to mind right off the jump. I don't know why, where where are you seeing Nick Bolton mocked? Because I don't know if there's another inside linebacker I would have ahead of him. And uh, well, he, it's kind of weird to me. He's been getting back into the first hype recently. Um, yeah. It's definitely been building similar to, uh, similar to Kelvin Joseph. It's been building up recently, but uh, I'm a big fan of him. I think he's pretty, I think he's an old school inside linebacker who can cover, but his athleticism and range is outrageous. People are going to hate me for saying this, but I'll, um, I'll give you one more and it's the punter out of Kentucky. Okay. Max Duffy. He was at the senior ball, right? Dude's a football player. Like, I mean, he's tough. He'll run the ball. Um, I mean, he can spot it about wherever you want. He can hit your rollout punts. I would say he might be a dude to kind of kind of watch late that could be off the board. I think he could be a legitimate weapon. Um, he's I mean, all those Australian kickers are are good in their own right. He yeah. just seems to he seems to have a little bit of a little bit of a bigger bag of tricks and tools than some of the other guys I've seen. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. Uh, you know, we we usually see one or two punters get drafted, and you know, I think that would be a, a super interesting call for a team that needs a punter. I mean, it's uh, a punter. It's a punter. So, I mean, he's closer to a football player than most punters, and I guess that's why I wanted to throw yeah. his name out because kickers well, are not football players. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, man. I don't know if you remember uh, Mitch Wisnowski from my alma mater, Utah. Mitch was the same way. Mitch could lay some wood and, and, and run a little bit too. I played with Damon Duval at Auburn, and he would legitimately cover kickoffs. He would kick off, and then he would sprint and cover kickoffs. Wow! I think he was the MVP of the CFL one year. He did. He had. He what? kicked <laughs> off. He kicked. He kicked off. He kicked field goals, and he punted. And I, I'm if I'm not mistaken. He was the MVP of the entire league one year in the CFL. That's awesome. He just um, he was a, a little bit of a loose cannon at Auburn, but um, <laughs> he figured it out. I love that. I love that. What a what a story. Well, Cole, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, where where can Chargers fans find you if they want to follow you? And uh, do you have anything coming up and that you that you're working on in the next couple of weeks? Uh, I'll be doing sanford western carolina saturday at one central on espn plus i'll be in the booth for that game so looking forward to doing a little spring football i've got their four home games um and then at cole kubelik c-u-b-e-l-i-c uh that's twitter instagram and then uh, my radio show is three man front on wjox 10 to 2 weekdays central and that's on joxfm.com joxfm.com Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cole, for joining us. This has been fantastic. And Chargers fans, make sure you follow him. And he does some good stuff on, on guest podcasts all the time. So he's always working. Uh, definitely something you want to follow. Thanks again, Cole. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So special shout out to Cole again for taking his time out. Uh, if you missed my breakdown on Landon Dickerson, I hope you listened to that interview and came away with super impressed with Landon Dickerson because I think Landon Dickerson is a fantastic player. Uh, no brainer for the chargers. If he's there in the second round, I don't think that's going to happen, but if he is there in the second round, I think that's a no brainer. Had a great time talking with him about the receivers in this draft, Kyle Pitts as well. So uh, thanks again, Cole. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. All right, Tyler, let's get to this other scenario because you know, we, I personally, I think you share the same sentiment. It's been offensive line or bust for me yeah. at pick 13. It still is. But PFF, you know, they, they predicted free agent signings today. They had the Chargers getting Alejandro Villanueva, 
from Pittsburgh to come in for to start at their left tackle spot, which makes a lot of sense because sure. of Sean Serrett. You know, they have that connection. They have the need. But that obviously would have major ramifications on the draft order and the draft choices for the Chargers. So how, do, how would signing Alejandro Villanueva change things for you? And what would you kind of go forward with in that direction? Depends what else they do in free agency, of course. If they've only signed one tackle, then you can go ahead and take your, your interior guy. If it's Vera Tucker, if that's Slater, fine. Trade back, whatever. But let's say it's not offensive line. I personally would go corner, but I've had this itch. And I recently said something as early as the second round that they take an edge guy. For some reason, I can't get it out of my head that they're going to take an edge at 13 or if they trade back somewhere in that first round. Yeah. And I just think that there are two guys, not that they're my personal favorite edge guys, but guys like Quiddy Pay and Gregory Rousseau, who I wouldn't take at 13. But they do they both do one thing very well. I don't think it's rushing the passer, though they do have the athleticism, high motor, and, I, and there's a lot of good things about them. They do defend the run very well. And I just yeah. think that the Chargers don't have that kind of guy on their roster right now. I mean, unless you're expecting Jerry Tillery to take that step forward, not really. You know, so I, I can't get it out of my head that they're gonna take someone like Quiddy Pay and who's who's excellent defending the run. You could plug him right now in the league, and I think he would be a great run defender. You know, the, the way he handles the run, I think those smarts that those instincts that IQ, I think you can translate that to pass rushing abilities eventually. Yeah. So for some reason, I just can't get that out of my head. Like if they pass on, if, if they take offensive line in free agency, while it wouldn't be my pick to take, you know, an edge guy, I just can't get those guys out of my head. Um, even though they're not my favorite edges, like I'd rather take Phillips or Ojolari there. Yeah. But I just feel like they might want a guy who's a little bit better against the run right now who can who they think can also develop into a good pass rusher. Well, Ojolari is, is my highest graded edge rusher. I think I'm, I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, you know, just mm-hmm. athletically, you know, his yeah. flexibility, you know, I, I tweeted this video from somebody else and he just has like this crazy amount of balance and flexibility. Yeah. And he's only 20 years old. He turns 21 in June. Mm-hmm. So like, wow. there's a, a ton of potential there, but there's also a ton of potential in Rousseau. Like, you know, you and I have been kind of critical of, of his lack of, pass rush but you know daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks were talking about this he didn't really have a position at miami you know they used him True. inside they used him outside and you know he's the same height as jerry tillery he's six seven he's got that length that yeah. brandon staley really likes and he played one college season like he redshirted as a freshman he mm-hmm. had his retro freshman season and he had 15 and a half sacks and 22 tackles for loss like i could totally see brandon staley you know <laughs> looking at that and going you know what I have yeah. Jay Rogers. I have Giff Smith. I have two yep. of the best defensive linemen coaches in the league. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this guy. I'll figure out my offensive line in free agency. Yep. I'm going to take Rousseau and essentially look at him as like, you know, a blank slate, somebody that they could, or, you know, a, a ball of clay that they could really mold into whatever exactly. they want. Mm-hmm. And that's really where, you know, everybody was talking about like, oh, you know, Giff Smith, it keeps Joey Bosa happy you know, having give Smith and Jay Rogers is a defensive line dream mm-hmm. and like being yep. able to take somebody like Ojolari or Rousseau and have them in that room. That makes a lot of sense to me. Like I wouldn't love yeah. it. Like it's not my choice. I preferred it to be an offensive sure. lineman, but those two guys make a ton of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And Rousseau is a guy, he just seems like he's like my, one of my least favorite pass rushers in this class, unfortunately, <laughs> 
but I can see the potential. Yeah. And if someone's going to make it work, like even at 13, which I think is too rich for him, you know, Staley, I think can make it work. He wants right. to line up these guys wherever he wants. They have a great set of defensive line coaches. You know, he's not the number one guy. Also do all the hard work, yeah. you know, beat your one-on-ones, you know, get better as a pass rusher, keep defending the run. I just think, I don't know. I just can't get it out of my head that they're going to do that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. If they, if they go like Villanueva in, in free agency. Yeah, no, I think that, I think it's a super interesting scenario because I, I think they could take a JC Horn if he's there. Yeah. You know, I love JC Horn. He's my highest graded corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see how, again, how Brandon Staley would look at a cornerback who has, you know, shut down one-on-one potential. Yeah. You know, similar to Jalen Ramsey. I'm not saying JC Horn is going to be Jalen Ramsey, but he has that. He's got like the island type, you know, yeah. build and frame and, and pedigree that I think Brandon Saley could could look at that as another potential option. But, you know, a lot of people like the biggest complaint about the edge rushing class is after the second round, there's a whole lot of like nothing. So, yeah. you know, you can always find cornerbacks, you know, in the later rounds as undrafted free agents that can come in and make impacts and provide mm-hmm. you quality depth like Michael Davis or, you know, I got like Washington's Keith Taylor in like the third or fourth round. Mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Oregon's Thomas Graham, Michigan's Ambry Thomas, just some guys that I think could be there that make a lot of sense. But, you know, the edge rushing class, if you're wanting an instant impact player with a super high ceiling, you've got to take him in the first or second round. I completely agree. And when you do this draft network mock drafts, you know, Quincy Roche is always there in the third round. And I like him and taking him in the third round, I yeah. think it was a great move. I just... He just doesn't have that next level step that someone like a freak like Ojalari can take or even yeah. Rousseau. And, you know, these guys, um, I, I, yeah, I would like corner at, at 13 as well. I like Farley, I like Horn, I like Sertan. Like you give me any of those guys and right. I would be happy. And it's very possible that's the route they, they go. Um, I'm just worried about some of these second round guys holding up against the run. Granted, most of these guys are just pass rushers. And, you know, I just don't know if like Barmore or, or Nixon as a 3-4 defensive end is going to hold up as well. Those guys, like, they're, they're not very good. They're getting blown up on the run game, and I just don't know yeah. if that's where they want to invest. So I think you could just take your edge rusher at 13 and then look at someone, like, depending on who's there. Maybe it's a... I mean, I, I broke down Stokes. I really like Stokes. I know you're not as, as high on him, uh, but Stokes, Molden, um, I mean, Campbell, if he's there, Samuel, um, some of these other... I haven't watched Newsom or Joseph yet, but there are names in the second round, I think, yeah, you know, that you can take. So I, I, if I'm... He, Staley wants trench picks. He wants to build in the trenches. It seems based on what he's said. And I think right. just in terms of the analysis and the analytics, I'm pretty sure having a good offensive defensive line builds you championships. So I, I just, if they don't go offensive line, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just going crazy. I'm not leaning towards <laughs> offensive line yet, but I, or excuse me to defensive line or defensive edge guys yet, but man, I don't know. I just can't get it out of my head. I originally, I thought I was just like a second round thing. And the more I think about it, and especially after we did our little mock free agency, you know, we filled two holes in free agency with offensive linemen. And, you know, if you go Ojalari, Rousseau in 13, maybe grab like a, you know, a Dickerson or, you know, Felicianton, not Feliciano, what am I saying? Dickerson or Humphrey or Smith or whoever these guys in round two, like, I think you've done your job and I think it's okay to take a pass pressure at that point. Yeah, you know, I, I, I still think like the best bet would be to take you know, an Elijah Vera Tucker, Christian Derrissaw, or Sam Cosme, and all the people have kind of soured on Cosme recently. But it, like the biggest difference between, 
you know, drafting an edge rusher at 13 is like, that's, that is the best chance to grab one. Yep. You know, like maybe mm-hmm. you get a Joe Tryon in the second round or a Hamilcar Rashid. That's like sure. about it in terms of like day one impact starters, mm-hmm. you know, cornerbacks, you listed a bunch of names, you know, and, and there's a lot of good ones in the second round. I just spent, you know, today watching Asante Samuel Jr. And he's a fantastic option. Yeah, he is. So is Greg Newsom from Northwestern, the Georgia kids. Um, so, you know, the cornerbacks, there are options later, offensive line, there are options later, you know, yeah. in a dream scenario, they would be able to, you know, get Dylan Radunes or James Hudson to be yep. able to, you know, be the, that next, you know, right tackle of the future after Brian Balaga leaves next year. But, you know, there's Landon Dickerson there, there's Trey Smith, there's Wyatt Davis there. There are guys there, you know, you could take, uh, you know, Jackson Carmen from Clemson. Mm-hmm. So I could see it, you know, Daniel Popper mentioned this too. Like the smart pick is an offensive lineman because that's the biggest need. Right. But, you know, are they going to be able to stare down Gregory? So Azizo Jolari, yep. you know, and look at Elijah Vera Tucker, who I love, but sure. I don't know if he has like the kind of ceiling that people are thinking that Gregory. So and Ojolari have. No, I agree. And I think, I don't know how the smart, money would work in this scenario but i think you have this herbert kid who i listed 120 names that were better <laughs> that was so Chargers. gross man <laughs> it was nasty um 120 players who had a better pass blocking efficiency than the best player which was feeney i almost feel like and this is really a total telesco move that they feel like they can just bump this lineup marginally get them like 15 you know 15th in the league average or 16th would be the middle anyway um (laughs) and just upgrade this defense in some way give staley the pieces that he needs and i think that might be their formula for winning because herbert like you know like rivers was a really good quarterback who operated with a really bad offensive line for a long time and so if you can kind of just get herbert's offensive line just a little bit better and then really build a really good defense maybe that's their formula for winning i could absolutely see telesco doing that well, and like to be fair, like he he never played with the worst offensive line exactly. of the league, and he won Rookie of the Year. So, right, you know, if you sign Villanueva and you sign Feliciano or Lindsley, like they could realistically get, you know, you cut Trey Turner and take that money and your actual cap space, and you get mm-hmm. Alejandro Villanueva and Corey Lindsley, and then you could draft, you know, in the second round somebody to play right guard, and then you have a competition at left guard with Feeney or Lamp or Cole Toner, sure, or you know, a, a late round draft pick mm-hmm. in theory, that's much better than what they have because then you would have Villanueva, exactly. Lindsay and Bulaga, like that trio, mm-hmm. if they're all healthy, like that's, that's <laughs> exponentially better than what they had <laughs> last year, man. Yeah. And they'll take, well, any of us will take exponentially better. And, you know, hopefully that doesn't impede Herbert learning the system. Hopefully it doesn't make it too difficult for him. Yeah. Um, I just don't think it will. He's a kid who just thrives under pressure and learns on the fly. So I could see it. The only thing I'm definitely out on at 13, regardless of who is there, is wide receiver. And at this point, yeah. you've watched enough wide receivers. I'm only like halfway to how many of you watched. And I think I still have like 10 guys with a first or second round grade. There's, There's no so way I'm taking a guy <laughs> at 13 when I can get a pretty close guy you know, in the second round or the third round. Um, so I'm definitely out on that one, no matter who's there. Yeah, you know, I... I- every fan of every team wants like the flashy receiver. Like it happens every single year, especially when you have mm-hmm. a young quarterback and you know, like the bank, like I've seen Bengals fans 
you know, want Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. And like, I get that, but you know, their weapons are good. And the thing about receivers is like, historically, the best place to take a receiver is in the second or third round, mm-hmm. you know, and the Chargers took Keenan Allen in the third round, you know, yep. Michael Thomas is a second round pick. Devontae Adams is a second round pick. And like, that's just how it is. Like, if you look at the first round picks of receivers over the last few years, it's not good. Like Corey Davis is probably the best first round pick receiver of the last four or five years. Jeez. And <laughs> that's not very good. Like, you know, the first round receiver class is littered with John Ross and mm-hmm. Mike Williams, Mike Williams. And, and stuff <laughs> like that, who guys who either don't stay healthy or they fail yeah. to, you know, produce for where they were selected. And so, you know, if you just look at the draft class that Mike Williams was taken in, you have Chris Godwin, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, you yep. have Kenny Galladay, you have Cooper Cup, like all these guys who are so much more productive than what Mike Williams has been. And that's every year, right? And so yeah, I, I get it. Like Jalen Waddell and Justin Herbert, like that would be so much fun to watch. Like Jalen Waddell's yeah. speed is oh, outrageous. Yeah. But you can find other fast guys later and get you know a trench pick which is just it's been proven like that's the way you need to pick in the first round trenches and quarterbacks and that's it no i i agree once again you know and i don't think you can find like if you take waddle at 13 i don't think you can really find a guy in i mean you can find a guy in the second there's not bad second round edge rushers but you know i'd rather have like a ojalari than elijah moore kind of guy um kind of duo than going waddle and then trying to find like another guy in the second round who's or the good. I just don't think that they're not, they're not Oshilari. They're not the potential of a Russo. And I just don't think, you know, it's worth it. I actually have more higher graded higher than Waddle. I don't, I don't know if you do. Elijah Moore. Yeah. I have him graded. Yeah. Graded okay. Than yeah. Nice. And Deami Brown too. So I love Deami oh, Brown. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. That's a whole different conversation for another time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I understand, you know, like Jalen Waddle would be a ton of fun, and so would Kyle Pitts, man. And you know, I talked with him about mm-hmm. with I talked about him with Cole and Kyle Pitts. Like that, that's a kind of talent that I think Tom Telesco would have a hard time passing up on, you know, because tight ends, like it's so hard to find a high quality tight end. Then again, you know, you have Hunter Henry in theory coming back, so. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think if the Chargers are not going offensive line at 13, it will be an edge rusher just because that's where the value is in the yep. class. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, Staley looking at Rousseau and Ojolari and even Pay, you know, Pay's a senior, he's older, yeah. but the dude is an athletic freak. He can do backflips standing up. Like <laughs> there's been rumors that he runs like a me. <laughs> Hey man, you don't weigh 275 pounds. I can <laughs> give me through Christmas and another Chargers five and eleven season. I'll show you 250 pounds. <laughs> oh man, jeez. But uh, you know, there's been rumors of Quiddy Pay running a four 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 five. So like, jeez. Like you know, the dude's a crazy athlete. So I I totally understand. You know, I think the Chargers should pick offensive line. They haven't picked it off first round offensive lineman in forever. Mm-hmm. So. But I think if it isn't, it's going to be an edge rusher. Yep. I, I Not much more to add to that. I, I haven't watched any linebackers, so I couldn't tell you. It seems like Parsons is really the only guy that would be around there that's any good. And I don't think you're watching him. And I nope. don't care to uh, either. So, you know, the the linebacker from Notre Dame is interesting because he's got like safety linebacker okay. hybrid type potential. Mm-hmm. He's an insane coverage kind of player. 
And uh, if you look on his pro football focus thing, he took a lot of snaps in the slot. Like they Notre Dame mm-hmm. didn't play a lot of nickel because they just put him in the, in the slot. So mm-hmm. um, he's an interesting one, but you, you you can't like the value of taking a linebacker in the first round in back-to-back years is just, it, oh, it would be no. terrible, man. And Drew Tranquil is a really good coverage linebacker too. Like, sure. You know, I, I don't think enough people are talking about his return. Everybody's kind of focused on Derwin, but, and rightfully so. But Drew yeah. Tranquil coming back is huge for the Chargers, too. That's a good point. Drew Tranquil. Man, yeah, that's right. Nobody is really talking about him. I hope he turns out okay. It seems like he was he was pretty close to not returning, but he seemed pretty healthy towards the end of the season, right? He's, he said in his interview the last day that if they had made the playoffs, he probably would have been able to play. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, That's good news. It's great news. Him and Derwin seem to be fully healthy. Uh, if you watch videos on Instagram of Derwin working out, like it's insane the kind of athlete he is, man. Um, so cannot wait to see what he does uh, next year coming back healthy. Yep. All right. So Tyler, any other thoughts before we wrap up today, man? That's it. I mean, I think we kind of covered it and um, I can't wait to have everyone listen to this interview because it was good. Yeah. So, and you just posted a video today on our Patreon page. I posted one earlier this week on Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, so guys, if, if you're not signed up on our Patreon page, uh, you're missing out on a lot of high quality breakdowns and things like that. Um, Alex is going to continue to do his videos on Saturday. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Like I said, please leave us a review, like the show, subscribe, leave a comment. We do really appreciate that. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.